One, two, three, four. And welcome to episode 139. This is going to be a mailed-in episode, you said before. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is Oscar weekend, and as usual, we like to do our top 10 of the year, or yeah, more or less. Uh, so that's what this episode is going to be. And because people were out and uh, on vacation, and uh, my uh, let's see, it'd be my wife's. Grandma passed away this week. I've been in funerals. It's just been all kinds of craziness this week. Just didn't uh, come together. Because life happens, friends. Anyway, and sometimes death. Yeah. I th- anyway, I think it's going to be a fun episode. At least it'll give you something to tide you over with our uh, with our sultry voices until uh, next week when we can get back on on the horse and do a normal episode. So, we're going to do, yeah, our top ten of 2016. Now, um, my list, as usual, should come with a bunch of caveats. As, uh, if you're a long-time listener to the show, then you know I don't go to the theater all that often to see a lot of new releases anymore. The crowds have, like, burned me so bad that it's it's like wasting money, and then I always associate that movie with that shitty time I had the, at the theater and that a-hole who brought his baby carrier into an R-rated movie, etc., etc., forever. So I just kind of have learned to be more patient and maybe hit the dollar theater or wait for home video. So that being said, take my list with a grain of salt because I have seen uh, very few of, especially of the Oscar movies, I've seen very few of many movies that I really want to see that have a good chance of making this list. This is basically going to be my top 10 of 2016 thus far. Catch up with me in 2020 and I'll do you another 2016 list it might be completely... It might have seven different picks on here. Very, very possible. Just don't have the time or money to be able to see everything all the time. Uh, another thing I did, being the comic book dork, I opted to take the comic book movies just right out of the... Just consider them honorable mentions. Just take them right off the list. Granted, I'm going to watch those movies over and over and over, probably more than a lot of the movies that are on my top ten. But I wanted it to be more... Uh, interesting films, more unique films, uh, films that took more risks, maybe, or things that need more attention. And besides, who wants to hear me re re-love on all of the comic book movies that came out this year more than I already have on the show? So yeah, I opted to remove most of the fluff just in bulk. <laughs> um, but before we get into my number 10... Eugene's got some honorable mentions, and so I'm going to pass it over to him and let him uh, tell you what didn't make the list. Hey everyone, Eugene Weaver here. I'm uh, going to be chiming in on my top 10 movies of the year here on Movie Freaks. So uh, without further ado, I guess let's get started with um, honorable mentions. Uh, there was a lot of really good movies this year. And so making my top 10 of the year uh, was 
pretty difficult. I actually had about 18 that I had to whittle down to 10. So, uh, and of those 18, um, uh, I guess a couple of them, like I, I actually, I started off with 20 and, uh, two of them dropped off the list. And then I, I just, I had too hard of a time. Uh, so I'm just going to just randomly list off the, um, the eight honorable mentions, and then we'll get into top 10 material. Uh, now, some of these movies overlap my own personal uh, list on cinema's soft underbelly, but that was horror-specific. That's my other show, and it's very horror-specific. So um, I tried to be objective, and and because I'm such a horror nut, um, at least for this show, I tried to put in movies that uh, I – it's not a horror. Let's just say that. As difficult as it is, it, w- it wasn't all horror. So anyway, uh, so some honorable mentions. First up is The Autopsy of Jane Doe. And I thought that that was a really, really good movie. Uh, not quite top ten material, but close. I quite enjoyed that. Um I also uh, have Conjuring 2. That one there, uh, unfortunately, was a bit too long. If if that would have been a, a more streamlined and more of, say, an hour and 45 minutes long versus the two hour and I believe it was two hours and 11 minutes, I would have... I would have given that one higher marks, but uh, two hours and 12 minutes or whatever it was. Sorry, this is not The Shining, folks. Uh, it doesn't need to be that long, especially for a horror movie. So uh, that one had to stay off my top 10, but it did get close. Um, next up is Ghostbusters. And the reason that this one didn't make the top 10, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie in the theaters, partially because of the uh, fantastic 3D that was found in the theatrical version in theaters, especially on the huge screen with a big booming sound system. Now I do have the, the Blu-ray and, um, you know, I've got 3d here at the house, but it's not quite the same as that theatrical experience. And the second viewing while was, I still really, really liked it. It wasn't quite as good as the first time the jokes were, you know, kind of been there, done that. Uh, but, Still, this is uh, underrated in my opinion. I really, really enjoyed Ghostbusters and with the amount of um, crap thrown at that movie before it was made all the way up to release and then after, it's staggering. I didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was quite good actually. Okay. Uh, Next up in the honorable mentions would be Blair Witch. Now, this one here is – I had this extremely high on my uh, top 10 horror of the year. But as far as top 10 all around, uh, there's other horror movies that I think that I would revisit and as a more uh, all around type of thing to where it's like I'm I, – I, I tried to make this list uh, in that like the movie's – would have a lot of replay value for me. And Blair Witch is extremely good. I thought it was really, really good. Uh, But I have a feeling that upon revisiting that movie time and time again, and I'm sure I'll watch it numerous times, I don't think that the scares are going to be quite as plentiful and 
some of the other horror movies that I might have on my top 10 list, I think might hold up a little bit better. Still a great movie. Okay. Uh, next up is on my, um, honorable mentions is the shallows. This is the shark movie. Uh, Blake Lively, I believe is her name. She's stuck on the rock and the big shark. And it was a good movie. Really good movie. I liked that. It got zany towards the end. And, um, completely over the top. It was a good movie. Very, very good movie. And I'm looking forward to rewatching that one. Almost made the top 10, but not quite. So shallows. There you have it. Okay. Uh, next up is hell or high water. I really wanted to include this in my top 10, uh, but replayability or rewatchability, I don't think is as high on that one. It's a very oppressive, uh, crime noir type thriller. I thought it was very, very good, but I, it's not one that I'm going to be running back and rewatching uh, often, but it was still very, very good with uh, fantastic performances. So, and, um, winding things down, uh, last for my top 10 would be fantastic beasts. And this is the Harry Potter prequel. Very good movie. I thought that the the CGI was great in it. It was just a fun movie. It doesn't quite capture the magic like the Harry Potter movies did um, with their book counterparts. But this is still a really, really fun movie. I quite enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to rewatching it. I believe the 3D was quite good when I saw it in the theater. So there's that. Um, good stuff, though. I, I quite liked it. And uh, let's see here. Um, one left, and then we're on to our my. We're on to my top ten, official top ten. And um, hey, this is all subjective because I'm actually looking at my top ten list. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe that this one here did not make my top ten, and some other movies did make my top ten. But they're you know for all various different reasons. And so, hey, it's it's my list. I can make it up. I can make it exactly how I want. And the last movie that didn't quite make the list was Captain America: Civil War. Uh, quite enjoyable. Uh, not much else to say about it. It's if you like the other Marvel movies, I can't imagine you wouldn't like this one. I did think this was significantly better than Dr. Strange. Um, and I would probably put this one above, not probably, I would put this one above Batman versus Superman, but it's not by much. It's, it's maybe I'm just getting a little bit burned out of superhero movies at this point, but, um, yeah, it, it was a really, really good movie. So there you go. Okay, number 10 for me, and hmm, this is kind of a biggie. For those of you that have listened to the show, you know that uh, my love affair with Oliver Stone is uh, non-existent, pretty much, other than a couple of films. But I don't think he's quite as great as the rest of the world does, to say the least. But then he comes along and uh, makes a movie about a guy that I'm quite interested in, and that would be Snowden. Um, and I, and of course he gets one of the best actors of this generation, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, to play him, and he does a great job. I know if you watch the trailer, his voice sounds a little odd, or the choice that he's making there seems a little odd, but he's actually 
I got used to it very almost instantly. And it was fine with me. And if you've seen interviews with the real Ed Snowden, he does sound like that. Uh, just just with a different tenor of voice than you're used to seeing uh, JGL use. What's his natural voice? Uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, not much to say about it. I thought it was a really good movie. I thought it was much more balanced than a lot of Stone's movies. Or they tend to verge off into weird areas or trippy psychedelic things and there were a couple of times when things started to happen where I thought oh no he's doing his Oliver Stone thing and then it got reeled back in and I was like oh that makes sense now I see why he made that choice and that's okay so yeah I, I will actually I, will, I look forward to watching this movie again and I would definitely rank this amongst uh, probably the top four or five of Oliver Stone's movies I quite enjoyed it it's, it's fairly straightforward for a Stone film but I hey I totally dug it Good flick. We start with uh, number 10 is They're Waiting. And this is the uh, actually a Netflix roulette, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Eric told me, dude, you've got to watch this movie. It's great. It's so cool. And I did. Uh, and I loved it. I, this, is, this is so me. Uh, anything that deals with this type of subject matter, uh, they I, I like the fact that they found a unique, interesting way to still have a found footage movie, and uh, I can't wait to watch this one again. It's so great. The ending is so out there and crazy. I loved it. This one here is directed by Jay Lender and Micah Wright, and yeah, it's for. Uh, Maybe maybe it, it was just me, but for a one-time-only viewing thus far, I I absolutely loved it. Actually, I went back through my my list of movies that I've seen throughout the year, and I believe I gave this one four and a half out of five stars. I liked it that much. So I'm looking forward to revisiting it, and therefore it does make number 10 on my list of top 10. So, um, oh, and as far as plot, all that stuff. Uh, I'm just going to kind of read off the synopsis on IMDb and be done with it. The renovation of an old house in a village somewhere in Eastern Europe will bring the crew of an American home improvement television show up against superstitious misunderstandings, superstitions, misunderstandings, and bloody violence. And that is very accurate. (laughs) It's great. Okay. Uh, That is my number 10. Number nine for me is the hollow point. This was a, uh, lesser-known film, or a smaller film, I think, because I didn't really know about it. It just kind of randomly popped up. Uh, but it is from 2016, and this stars Patrick Wilson, Ian McShane, Lynn Collins, John Leguizamo, Jim Belushi. Uh, it's a story of a border town uh, where uh, this one cop, I guess, grew up, and then he comes back after he gets a demotion or something. I don't know, it's a little confused there. But, well, it didn't. I wasn't confused, it just didn't, wasn't relevant to the plot per se. But he's like supposed to be the good guy cop whereas Ian McShane is the bad bad old bastard cop and they both have their own ways of dealing with, you know, criminal elements trying to smuggle ammunition across uh, the border for the cartels. And one thing goes wrong and another thing goes wrong and another thing goes wrong and then before you know it the cartels are sending badass assassin John Leguizamo up to, uh, I'll just start killing the crap out of everybody that gets in his path. And 
I don't really want to say any more about it, but this was not a by-the-numbers kind of action movie or thriller, but I had such a fun time with it. It was just weirdly funny in certain spots and uh, gory in certain places and just awesome. This was just a kick-ass movie. I totally dug it. This is one of those movies that could have easily been screwed up if it had been uh, 10 minutes longer, 15 minutes longer. This was exactly the runtime it needed to be, and it w was totally enjoyable all the way through. So, highly recommend you get out and check out The Hollow Point. Okay, now on to my number nine. This one here, I had heard about on another podcast, and they, they had made mention of the fact that it uh, it was a horror podcast, and they made mention of the fact that it's not really a horror movie, but it is a horrific movie, and I could not agree more, and that is Krisha. Uh, this is uh, directed by Trey Edward Schultz, and uh, the subject or the plot is uh, Krisha returns for Thanksgiving dinner after 10 years away from her family, but past demons threaten to ruin the festivities. Uh, this is... Of my list, it's one of, if not the most unique, no, not quite the most unique, but it's one of the most unique movies on my list. Uh, it is um, one that will stick with you long after the credits roll. It's only an hour and 20, IMDb here says hour and 23 minutes. It is uh, truly, purely devastating. Um, I, I've already talked about this movie on Movie Freaks, so I don't want to spend too much time delving into why I liked it so much other than the fact that um, everything about it felt so real. The characters, they all felt real. It felt like you weren't watching actors on screen acting. It truly felt like a floating camera was just hovering around this house, capturing the worst day of everyone's life in, um, on, in this Thanksgiving reunion type setting with a uh, obviously mentally ill or something uh, grandmother that shows up. And it's it's not one that I'm going to revisit, but it is uh, – and I hate to say that it's like irreversible, but it's one of those movies that it's so brutal and uncomfortable and it's not something that you want to watch again, but the quality of filmmaking and acting on hand is undeniable. It was a truly fantastic movie. I urge everybody, anyone out there that is a cinema file to check out that movie, but be warned, it is not a feel-good movie at all. Number eight for me is The Good Neighbor, starring James Caan. And I just wrote a review of this for the Facebook page here this last week. Uh, yeah, this was quite a surprise to me. I was expecting more of a horror film. The trailer really sold this as a horror film. Uh, a couple of boys, high school age, uh, decide to make a documentary film because they're bored over summer, whatever. And the way their their idea of the, for their film is to, can you make somebody think that they're being haunted? So they go to their mean old bastard neighbor's, neighbor's house, James Can. Con, however you say his name, and uh, put in a bunch of electronic stuff and cameras so they can videotape everything. Uh, and things like make the door bang and, and make the lights flash on and off and radio come on in the middle of the night and shit like that. So it kind of sets itself up on a, you know, ghostly haunting horror premise, but it 
was anything but. And there were a lot of kind of flashbacks and flash forwards in it. And for the first half, I was like, this is dodgy filmmaking. Why are you doing this? And by the second half, I realized they're giving us pertinent information at just the right time which was interesting because uh, by the time we got to the third act, I was like, they better keep going with uh, the the f- flashbacks and flash forwards so I have the full picture of this film. And that's where the strength of this movie lies is in its uh, writing. It is hard to write a movie like that. It is, It, it would have been cheaper to go uh, uh, and easier to go as a, like, a horror movie. I don't want to really get into specifics as to why, because I don't want to spoil anything. It's better to, the less you know going in, the better I think you'll enjoy the film. Uh, so that being said, it's one of those that you'll think about for days later. I, I sure did. Wow, did oh, I'm still kind of thinking about that movie and how everything gets turned around. But uh, definitely check out uh, The Good Neighbor. Very good film. Number eight. <clears throat> Number eight is A Man Called Ove. Uh, this is a... Um, let me just get this right here. I gave this four and a half out of five stars. Swedish movie. And um, the subject matter in the movie is uh, Ove, an ill-tempered, isolated retiree who spends his days enforcing block association rules and visiting his wife's grave has finally given up on life just as an unlikely friendship develops with his boisterous new neighbors directed by uh, Hannes Holm. I believe this movie is fantastic. It's genuinely funny and it's the comedy and the comedy in the movie actually translates very well to, to uh, an American audience. I think it's, it's genuinely funny. It's not, specific to their country and the drama is so heartfelt and so real um it's it's a very i don't want to say it's a heartbreaking movie it's actually it's a heartwarming movie and how this guy is just a crusty old guy but then you find out through the entire runtime we get glimpses of his life and growing up uh there's one scene in particular with his father that I was in tears. It was it was such a great movie. I cannot recommend a man called Ove enough. Um, this is one of those movies that I normally would never have considered watching, and um, it played at my theater that I work at up in uh, Akron, Ohio, and so I I watched it. And this is why I love working at. Um, um, this is why I love working up there is because it it challenges me and um, with movies like this, I didn't think I would like this and it ends up being one of my favorite movies of the year. So I highly recommend a man called Ove. It is, I believe streaming right now on Amazon video. Well worth every single dollar. Uh, It's a fantastic movie. Check it out. Number seven for me is war dogs. Now this was directed by Todd Phillips, who I believe did the hangover movies. And stars Jonah Hill and, dang it, Miles Teller. Uh, based on the true story of two young men, David Pack, Packhouse and Ephraim Deverola, who won a $300 million contract with the Pentagon to arm America's allies in Afghanistan. This was, it's kind of a, oh boy, thriller comedy movie. And Imagine the Wolf of Wall Street, but with guns. That's kind of what this movie is like, and mercifully shorter. 
Although that was still a good movie, I just... Uh, this one's a better runtime. Anyway. So, it is not like an out-and-out out comedy, but it is quite funny, and it is also very interesting to see how some of the just complete buffoonery of the way this country, this country's government operates. Um, I, as many know, I'm not a huge fan of Jonah Hill, but he was fine here. He's playing his role as, I mean, kind of a scumbaggy guy, and I don't really care for him all that much, so it kind of works. I don't hate the guy. He's funny at times. I just, it's not my favorite. Miles Teller's fine. I don't have any beef with him. Never have. And he does his part here perfectly well. Uh, quite enjoyed the film from beginning to end. Not much more else to say about it. A little disturbing about, again, how the government operates, but what are you going to do? It's the day and age we live in, man. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for me. Number seven, War Dogs. And Eugene, definitely check that movie out. You will dig it. Okay, number seven is um, going the complete opposite direction of uh, of a man called Ove. And do I ever mean complete other direction? And that would be American Guinea Pig Bloodshock. I talked about this movie uh, quite in depth on a previous episode of Movie Freaks, so I don't want to uh, spend too much time on it. You've got to go back and listen to my review. I wrote a a pretty detailed review as well on our Movie Freaks Facebook page. This movie is um, it is uncomfortable and gory, and uh, the fact that it made me so uncomfortable for such a low-budget movie that was shot in black and white uh, speaks volumes. Uh, it's, uh, it is certainly not for everybody. In fact, I probably wouldn't argue with uh, anybody that didn't like it um, or even flat-out hated it. Um, because it is very much made for a specific type of person, I guess. And I guess I am that person, but I thought that Bloodshock, American Guinea Pig Bloodshock was, uh, fantastic in its depiction of utter, utter evil and, um, humiliation and mean spiritedness all set to, uh, really creepy nine inch nailsy type background noise and, uh, an insane ending. I, I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. So, yes, number seven. Oh, and um, American uh, Bloodshock was directed by Marcus uh, Koch. And uh, basically it's about a man that is strapped to a chair. Well, he's in a padded room and he goes from padded room to a surgeon's chair and this doctor and his crazy henchmen, they just operate on him. And for reasons you have to see the movie to find out. You won't soon forget it. Even if it's a movie that you hate, it's one that, in my opinion, will stick with you long after credits roll. It's uh, it's hardcore, but it was a very good movie and uh, certainly worthy of my top ten of the year. So that was my number seven. Back to you. Okay, number six for me is The Finest Hours. This is set in 1952. The Coast Guard makes a daring rescue attempt off of Cape Cod for some oil tanker workers or sailors or whatever you want to call them in a blizzard in, yeah, 1952. So, mm, that makes it all the more difficult. Chris Pine, Casey Affleck, Ben Foster. This movie shook me to my core. I, I loved it. There were only thing that held it back at all were a couple of instances 
of maybe green screenery, but it's not the, it was none of the big action things or the boat crashing through wave stuff that, excuse me, really came off as green screeny. It was the little things like the woman drives down the road and kind of gets and puts her car in the ditch and then hops out and it's a blizzard and her hair barely moves in the wind or so. And she's wearing, you know, doesn't, didn't even take her coat with her, but she doesn't appear to be shivering or cold while standing. Yeah. Stuff like that, where it's like, give me a freaking break, man. But the rest of the movie though, especially the big moments with the stuff at sea, very powerful, at least to me, worked on me, but you know my history with the the high seas. Anyway, The Finest Hours was definitely worth a look, and I encourage anybody who hasn't seen it to definitely give it a sh- give it a shot, give it a chance. It was a good film, and it was nice to see Chris Pine acting in a uh, not as the all American super duper hero confident guy. I mean, he you know he probably has to go against his own nature to kind of act like <laughs> the dork. And he did a little... That's kind of how he was acting in this movie. He was very unsure of himself, and it worked. It was a kudos to his performance. Uh, anyway, yeah, good film, The Finest Hours. Looking forward to watching that thing on Blu-ray. Number six. Is Star Trek Beyond? Of course it's a Star Trek movie. Any year that a Star Trek movie is in the theater, how can it not be in my top ten? And Star Trek Beyond does not. Uh, fail at all. This is right up there with uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. And I think that the first Star Trek reboot, J.J. Abrams, I think was maybe slightly better, but this is every bit as good as the sequel, if not better. This one here was directed by Justin Lin. The USS Enterprise crew explores the furthest reaches of uncharted space um, where they encounter a new ruthless enemy who puts them and everything the Federation stands for to the test. And uh, what I really liked about this movie is that this one here truly feels like the first uh, of the new cast that really feels like an extended episode of a TV show. Uh, and I, I really like that. I like when I feel like I'm watching a an awesome, excellent television show of Star Trek. The cast works so well together, especially because they all get kind of divided off into little teams to take on our lead bad guy who is uh, Idris Elba and he is fantastic as Crawl in the movie. He's a bit underused. Uh, that would be one of my only complaints is that he's a bit underused and I'm, I'm really tired of hearing the Beastie Boys song. So um, yeah, other than that, this was a great movie. I really, really hope they keep on making these Star Trek movies with this particular cast because it's great. At least give us like Five movies to do two more just to wrap to wrap things up maybe we'll see okay so yes star trek beyond was a blast i loved it and can't wait to watch it again number six that was my number six well that wraps up the bottom five of our top ten and i thought i'd break it up a little bit uh with a little bit of a guest appearance a buddy of ours steven finally got to watch one of the awesomest, weirdest, craziest one. I don't know. Crazy ass film called Sleepaway Camp. And I was dying to know what he thought about it. So I asked him to record a review and Dropbox it for us. And I'm going to present it for you here now just to break up uh, yeah, the two halves of our boring list movies, movies segment. <laughs> anyway, 
can't wait to hear what he has to say about this movie. <laughs> Seriously, if you've never seen Sleepaway Camp, get on it. Watch it at some point. Even if you absolutely hate it, it's a must-see. You need to have a review of that film in your repertoire, because it is bonkers to the max. Let's see what Steven had to say about it. Hey, movie freaks. Thanks for uh, giving me a chance to give you my thoughts on Sleepaway Camp, a movie that you guys have talked about on numerous occasions. So it's one that I've wanted to watch for a while now. And, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I got the chance to watch it up at Eugene's place. Uh, and just for anyone who doesn't know, Sleepaway Camp from 1983 is a, uh, a horror movie. And the synopsis is Angela Baker, a traumatized and very shy young girl, is sent to summer camp with her cousin shortly after her arrival. Everyone with sinister or less than honorable intentions gets their comeuppance. I gotta say that this movie lived up the high expectations that I had for it being a, a good or a great bad movie. It's just, it's so crazy and bizarre. It's the overacting in this movie. Uh, Eugene <laughs> mentioned uh, when we got done watching it, I think he said, overacting the movie. Everyone is overacting, and everyone is angry and <laughs> screaming and yelling all the time. Everyone is just right on the edge of just fl flipping out, and it's so funny. You mix that overacting and everyone's angry with just some of the this very great bad dialogue and it's just it makes for a very humorous movie um watching it for the first time i just laughing the whole way through and then along the way you do still get some some kills some very interesting and and unique kills and some kills that are even kind of funny in them in, of themselves so and, and and it has everything too you, you have the <laughs> uh, the pedophile cook and then the way he dies, and the giant pot that he's cooking corn in. The, the movie has a little bit of everything that you could possibly want in something like this, including the clothes from that time. It's just, there was so many times where I'd just look at the clothes that the, the guys were wearing, specifically because they're just so crazy and ridiculous that you just, you can't help but just burst out laughing. And then, let's not forget, perhaps, the best single scene in the whole movie. No, not the ending. It's that <laughs> glorious softball game that breaks out and is the best um, softball-slash-baseball scene that I think I've ever seen because it's just, it, it goes on for a very long time, it seems like. It just, it's just, you have to see it to believe it, really, and... Um, Let's go on to the ending. I won't spoil the ending in case anyone hasn't seen it, but a great, great, bizarre twist ending to the movie. And actually, at that point in time, I kind of wanted it to keep going. I was like, once, you know, the twist happens, like, let's keep going. Now, I know there are sequels, which I haven't seen, but, like, from right there, I kind of wanted the movie to keep going. I wanted to see what happens next in this, you know, storyline right here, so... But, you know, i got to say, it's one of the most unique movies that I think I've ever seen. And watching it with someone else who's seen it many times, you know, we were just laughing the whole way through. It was such a, again, it's just a great, bad movie. 
very entertaining and it's one that i'll probably watch again actually that same night i, I came home and i was watching clips of it and actually the whole movie is on youtube so i was just re-watching clips of the movie um because it, it was just so funny and so entertaining and and again it does still have some of that nice little bit of gore here and there so yeah big thumbs up so um that's all uh thanks for uh, having me on uh, giving my thoughts on sleepaway camp and uh talk to you later Excellent. Most excellent. We're always happy when anybody joins the uh, Team Sleepaway Camp, uh, if there is such a thing. <laughs> you can be on our Sleepaway Camp softball team. Oh, God, I love that movie so much. What a flaming piece of crap in the most perfect way possible. Okay, let's get on to our top five of 2016. Number five for me is... Our first crossover of this episode, Star Trek Beyond. I agree, uh, you gotta go pretty bad to uh, not get on my list if you're a Star Trek movie. <laughs> there are several in the past that probably wouldn't have made it, but who knows what I would have thought at the time. But uh, yeah, Star Trek Beyond, I really dug. I do disagree with you, Eugene, about the, the Beastie Boys song. I'm not really tired of it. The only place that I thought it was overused was in the trailer. It shouldn't have been used in the trailer, or if it... You know, they insisted upon it. It should have just been a snippet instead of that... That's... What was it? The first or second trailer where they just... it The whole song was over the whole entire thing. That didn't fit. It was too much. They should have pulled it back a little bit. But how they made that work in the movie was equal parts so stupid and genius that in the theater I couldn't do anything but just laugh my ass off. And I loved it. The way that... Uh, they actually used it. And you're very right. This totally felt like a big blown-up episode, which is just perfect. I, I Obviously, it, it's even better if you can make it more movie, uh, theatrical movie-esque, but a giant big-budget episode works just as well. Uh, so I, yeah, totally dug Star Trek Beyond. I can't wait to watch that one again. Number five. And this is one that was on... Cinema Soft Underbelly, and uh, definitely deserves a spot on Movie Freaks as well, and that is 10 Cloverfield Lane, the sort of, kind of, maybe sequel to Cloverfield. This is uh, about a girl who has her, uh, played by um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's Michelle, and she is in a car wreck, rescued by John Goodman, uh, who is Howard in the movie, and... Uh, Michelle and Emmett, played by John Gallagher Jr., are trapped in his bunker, uh, John Goodman's bunker, where he um, slowly becomes more and more unhinged as uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Gallagher Jr. try to escape once uh, – well, yes, let's just say things escalate and it gets very Cloverfieldy by – uh, the end. I thought it was great. John Goodman was fantastic in the movie. I was totally on board the whole way through. Great special effects by the end. Uh, but honestly, John Goodman stole the show in this movie. He was, to me, he's the main reason to watch this movie. He was so good in it. Um, it had just the right balance of science fiction and suspense, thriller, and maybe just a touch of horror as well it, it was such a great movie i watched it twice already and the replayability on that is um, fantastic it's one that i will 
definitely be rewatching probably every year for quite a while. It's one of those movies. And that was my number five. Number four for me is, here's where it starts getting personal, I guess. Uh, Blair Witch, Adam Wingard's uh, third entry into the Blair Witch saga. Uh, yeah, I've talked, we both talked about this one quite a bit on the show. I know not everybody's going to be in love with it as much as uh, we were. Or I guess just I, since it's uh, honorable mention for Eugene, but... <clears throat> I thought it was fantastic. I thought it it did uh, repeat the soul of the original without being the same, and way more than the second film did. But that, I still enjoy that film for what it is too, even though it's kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, the scares just really worked for me, and I had just come off. Uh, I watched that in November. I had just come off a month of watching a horror movie nearly every single day. And none of them were really scary, and so that one just really creeped me out. I don't know, something about that series I watched at the right age, and it was just really effective. And I thought this third one was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Number four. Okay, number four. Now we're getting to the really good stuff. Um, The only movie here from this point on... Uh, that I've only watched once would be this movie. And I wonder if it would be higher on my list had I watched it uh, more than once. And that is Moonlight. And uh, this is actually up for uh, numerous Oscars, rightly so. It is such a great movie. This is uh, directed by Barry Jenkins. And uh, the synopsis is a timeless story of human self-discovery and connection. Moonlight chronicles the life of a young black man from childhood to adulthood as he struggles to find his place in the world while growing up in a rough neighborhood of Miami. The acting is fantastic. And the movie is actually broken up into three segments. uh, Childhood, uh, teenage years, and then adulthood. And each one has... Uh, at least one totally stunning breakout uh, moment uh, and performance by each actor because there's a different actor playing each stage of this man's life. Um, Another one that, uh, like Story of Ove, I was uh, originally thinking, "Eh, I'm not sure if I would like this, and then captivated. Captivated from... Frame one to rolling credits, it's heartbreaking. There are several moments in the movie that are they're so heartbreaking, especially as a father myself um, and seeing how impressionable young children are to how they are brought up. Uh, this is a movie that must be seen. I cannot speak highly enough uh, about this movie. In fact, like I said, if it wouldn't be the fa- for the fact that I've only seen it once, it probably would be higher on my list. Uh, But as it is, for my first viewing, Moonlight uh, lands at number four. And um, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, For me, uh, of all the movies that, of course, I haven't seen all the movies that are actually up for Best Picture at the Oscars, but this one here should definitely be on that list, if not uh, the winner. So there you go. Moonlight, number four. Number three, I'm going to be, I'm not really going to go into plot here because that would be silly, but uh, 
Rogue One, Star Wars Tale, or however it's actually titled. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, of course it's a Star Wars movie, I'm going to love it. it. Even the bad ones I like, but this one was really, really good. I've only seen it once. Um, I The reason it's not a little bit higher is because of, do I want to say originality, but a little bit originality? You know where it's going to go. You know how it's going to end, more or less. Spoiler alert, they get the plans to the Death Star. Ooh. Uh, anyway, I thought it was very well executed. I could have used a little more Darth Vader throughout, but that's okay. Uh, but still, an excellent film. I thought some of the CGI facial scan stuff was dodgy at uh, best, and offensive at worst. There were, there were times where it was questionable that they shouldn't have had so much of that one character in there. In my opinion, I, I thought if they just had the one scene, it would have been a great little homage and we could all moved on. But then it kept more scenes, more scenes. It was like, eh, I don't know if I like that. I, again, I'll have to reevaluate upon repeat viewings. But still, a very enjoyable film. Number three, Rogue One. And I'm sure me and Eugene are going to cross over on some of our top three, if not all of them. <laughs> I look forward to finding out. Okay, number three is uh, this one here was actually pretty difficult for me. It was it's it's down to like the, the one was like that was an easy one for me to have as number one. That was simple, but these two here I went back and forth, and um, I I guess I'm gonna have to. It's so neck and neck, and they're such opposite movies. Um, Rogue One gets the number three spot. Star Wars Rogue One. And uh, I just saw this for a second time in the theater. And uh, I didn't quite like it as much as I did the first time. The first time was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Better than any other Star Wars movie other than maybe Empire Strikes Back. Well, I've cooled the jets a bit. Uh, uh, just, Just a bit. It's still so, so, so good. And I'm going to watch this. Oh, my Lord. I'm going to watch this every year probably for the rest of my life until I get sick of it, which I, I won't. It's so good. Uh, the special effects are fantastic. Other than uh, a couple small gripes would be the CGI uh, Grandma Tarkin and Princess Leia. Darth Vader looks a little bit odd in a couple scenes. Um but otherwise, it's just a great movie. Uh, I loved the action. I loved that it was a lot more gritty for a Star Wars movie. The uh, score could have been a little bit better. To to my ears, it was definitely not John Williams. And that's okay. It was just almost jarring to me to not hear John Williams' score and instead hear something that seemed almost wannabe-ish. That's minor quibble. Still a great movie. Uh, and, and very worthy, I think, of a top ten of the year. And um, yeah, Rogue One. I mean, come on. You, I, I don't know if I really need to say the storyline. You, it's, it's Star Wars, and it takes place before A New Hope. There you go. You, they they learn how to blow up the Death Star at the end. Okay. Oh wow, he had Rogue One at number three as well. Wow, that makes me think we might have identical top threes. It's not impossible. In which case, I'll try and keep it brief. Uh, just a peek behind the curtain here, guys and gals. I'm recording my bits as I edit Eugene, so I don't know what he's going to say. I haven't listened to it in advance, because I want it to be a surprise for myself as well. But 
I'm pretty sure. Boy, I, I would be surprised if we don't have the same top three, and that's, wow, that's cool. That's never happened before. Uh, so anyway, and skipping the plots, that's pretty good, because my number two is the Greasy Strangler, and the reason that this slimed its way all the way up to number two is because of its absolutely unique vision. Uh, whereas a lot of these, a lot of films that I will probably be watching a lot more than this were sequels and comic book movies and remakes and what have you, fluff, uh, but this one was just so frickin' funny, and uh, just, just so raunchy and weird and inexplicable, let me tell you that. And it is a, a hard R with lots of male nudity abounding, and it's just so funny. Oh, damn, I laughed my ass off through this thing, so, oh, I loved it. Great, great time, and it definitely will not be for everybody. But uh, if you're up for a hard R unique quirky, strange, bizarro flick, then look no further than The Greasy Strangler. Number two. Here we go. Here's, uh, uh, oh yeah. Uh, happy to report that number two for me is The Greasy Strangler. Uh, Ronnie runs a disco walking tour with his son, Brayden. When a sexy woman takes the tour, it begins a competition between father and son for her love. It also signals the arrival of an oily strangler who stalks the streets at night. This is the farthest thing from horror. I don't know what to call it. Uh, my co-host, Eric, he said this is kind of like John Waters. And you know what? I, I'll take that. John Waters it is. Greasy Strangler is a newish type new movie that feels like John Waters crossed with, good lord, trauma maybe. I don't know. It's insanity. It's gross and it's greasy and I loved every second of it. The ending is insane. Everything about this movie is great. I, I, I'm going to watch this movie so many times because I'm a sick bastard. And you should too. It's a great movie. Wow, that's funny. I can't believe this is lining up like this. But I can guess without a doubt what his number one is going to be, and it's going to be the same as mine, and that is The Witch. Uh, this is just simply the best, scariest, most well-made film that I saw of that this year. And I, I, oh, I'm i sure Eugene's going to elaborate on it like hell, so I, I probably won't too much. I'm I'll be shocked if it's not his number one. And if it's not, I'll come back and talk about it more <laughs> after he does his. <laughs> but I bet money it is. Anyway, it's it's such a strange film in the, in the way the, that they speak. It's kind of an old English style of speaking, but so you have to like listen a little bit harder. It makes you work a little bit more for it, but it's not so much that it's annoying. Um, the acting is all spot on. There There are a couple of bits of gore, but... The one that's the most disturbing to me is like right up front within the first 20 minutes or so, I want to say. And it's five seconds, but for some reason, the nature of what is happening is just, oh, it's horrible. Uh, and then you get to the end, and I, I loved the ending of the film. I, I thought it was dark, but it worked for this, for what it was. It was so twisted and kind of evil but it just oh it worked it was cool and for that it was pretty easy to make my number one i really enjoyed it i think it's very unique filmmaking and it's very effective filmmaking so now i will turn it over to you 
Eugene, as I'm sure he's about to break down the same film. <laughs> and without further ado, number one best movie of the year for me is The Witch. And uh, that's probably no surprise to you, Eric, and some of our listeners out there. I've bragged up this movie numerous times. Uh, Robert Eggers, uh, his first feature-length movie is a masterpiece. In my opinion, this should be winning the best picture of the year. A family in the 1630s New England is torn apart by the forces of witchcraft, black magic, and possession. This, to me, is a true uh, just balls-out pulling no punches horror movie. I know some people have been saying, oh, it's not really a horror movie. To me, it's the it's the truest sense of the word a horror movie. Um, every second of this movie oozes dread and horror and uncomfortableness. It may not be that graphic or anything, but for me, it is, um, it's the perfect horror movie, especially in 2016. It is uh, easily in my top 100 of all time, just like uh, the previous year's Revenant and the year before that, uh, the uh, uh, Beneath Us or Under the Skin. This is one that I will, I watched it twice already in the second, uh, I'm sorry, I've watched it three times now. And uh, each time I actually somehow like it better. It is uh, oppressive and the, old English style dialect that's in it makes things all the more disjointed and uncomfortable and almost otherworldly. So basically think an 85 minute Stanley Kubrick movie set in the 1600s. And I'm like Stanley Kubrick could have directed this. It felt like a Stanley Kubrick movie and I loved it. I'm really looking forward to seeing this director. He's uh, going to be remaking Nosferatu and I happily welcome anything that he does from this point on. He has a 100% track record at this point. The Witch is easily the best movie of the year for me, far and away, actually. There was no other movie that touched The Witch. Um, and there is no other movie that quite affected me like The Witch did. I will say that uh, that several other movies on my list were very uncomfortable, but this one here takes the cake for uncomfortable. It is... it's yep it's a eugene movie i loved it so check it out it actually is on uh, amazon prime streaming but i recommend getting the blu-ray to support one to support physical media and two to support this movie even more because it it deserves your hard-earned dollar so having said that that is my top 10 of the year and uh i've already um I've already started notes on next year's top 10. So is there already a movie that might be making my top 10 of 2017? Hmm. We'll find out in one year from now now, won't we? Well, I can so tell I'm not drinking while I'm recording this. Movie freaks. Okay, that's it. I'm all done with my top 10. And um, I guess, Eric, close us out. Take us home. We're done. Bye-bye. And there you go, folks. Wow, I cannot believe that our top three lined up perfectly. That is crazy. We're never that on point. We usually we agree on a lot of stuff, but and we have a lot of the same taste. But it's that wow, that's sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thanks, Eugene, for getting your bit recorded and sent in. Thank you, Stephen, for doing the same. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if we 
get you on a little more in the future. We'll see what we can do. And everybody enjoy the Oscars tonight. Well, you guys might. I don't know that I'm even going to watch because, I don't know, a lot of those movies that are up I'm not terribly interested in, La La Land and all that, but who knows? Maybe I'll tune in if I uh, am able to. Um, you can get a hold of us, moviefreakspod at yahoo.com, and hit up our Facebook page for weekly written reviews. And that's going to do it for this mailed-in episode, everybody. We will see you next week with a full regular episode. We've already been starting making notes about that episode, and we can't wait to start chatting up some some more movies. So, anyway, thanks everybody for listening. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening.